All right. We all heard you say it. I'm listening. I'm waiting. Speak. So he's about to speak. Amen. Be seated. If our children have not already left, they're, uh, they're welcome. Are we, do we have, where's, where's Ruth? We do have, we do have it available today. All right. Just wanted to make sure. And by the way, children are always welcome in here. Always welcome in here. But we do have that if you're, if you desire for that. They'll be back in a little bit because we're going to baptize today. And so uh, they will be back to join us for that. What a day to be in the Lord's house. Amen. We've shared in the Lord's Supper, remembering what he's done for us. We're going to share in baptism as a picture of what he's done in us. And, uh, and so what, what, a, what a blessed day. I'm glad that you are here. So in the Old Testament, we just finished this study in Genesis. And we're going to stay in the Old Testament for a few weeks. In the Old Testament book about a prophet that you know named Jonah. You remember Jonah, right? And in that story, the most famous character in the story is... Somebody said a whale. Well, there's no whale in this story. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's a fish. But the fish, while it is an interesting part of the story... It's just a supporting character at best. This story is about God. This story is about an important part of the character of God. People often, when they refer to the Old Testament and God in the Old Testament, they often will say that they see God as being vindictive in the Old Testament as being judgmental in the Old Testament. But listen to me, that is not true. God is just and God is holy always. Old Testament, New Testament, and today. And God's judgment is always a result of his holiness. But it's not his deepest desire, judgment. The Apostle Peter explains an important part of of God's character that we will find front and center in this true story in the book of Jonah. Peter says it in 2 Peter 3.9 when he says, The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Hallelujah, we serve the God of the second chance. (laughs) And so the story, while teaching us about God and his offer of repentance, it also can be a pretty good mirror. Because when we compare ourselves with others, if you compare yourself with me, you're in good shape. When we compare ourselves with others, we come out as pretty good people, right? But when we look at God, we see ourselves as we are. And so we're going to take what message-wise will be a short four-message walk with Jonah, but we're going to take a little bit to get there because of some things we're going to do along the way. 
I've asked uh, a few of our ministers over the next uh, few weeks to share as well. Next week, Bill Fries will share about his call. And the, the week after that, uh, Minister Desi Briscoe will share about his call. And, and I'll share a couple more messages here uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then I've asked Chris Teague to share about his call. And then we're going to have an outside service in, again on September the 11th. And then the following Sunday, we're going to celebrate our anniversary as a church, 80 years together. And then at the end of September, we'll come back to chapter 4 of this But as we take this walk through here, I want you to see God through the wonder, if you will, of repentance that is available because he's a God of a second chance. So we're going to ask the question, what happens when repentance happens? I know you don't need repentance, but you know people that need repentance. Who demands it? And, and what does repentance bring in us? What does repentance bring in God? What does repentance reveal to us? Because as we get here into chapter 1 of Jonah, hopefully you're already there now with me, somebody's not where they're supposed to be. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because their evil has come before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing? Sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots and then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. 
the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, there are a lot of things about this story that are not pretty. And our lead human character is portrayed in a very honest, albeit unflattering light, right? So the title of the message and number one, write down number one, running from God. Running from God. Now, Jonah was a prophet. We, we see him in 2 Kings 14, 23 to 27 in the northern kingdom there, uh, Israel. He's shown during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who was a wicked king for over 40 years. And he led God's people into idolatry. And, and God's correction came on them through the attacks of pagan nations, Foreign people had repeatedly attacked and taken land, but God sent in those days, God sent Jonah, and Jonah prophesied what turned, I'm sure, into a very popular message that God would restore their borders, and he did. Now, my guess is that Jonah became a very famous preacher at that point, a very popular preacher because he had a good message. God's not going to wipe us out. Today, he would have had books and a TV show, and he'd have been on the internet. And with all that success and everything seeming to go in Jonah's way, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In other words, God called. Can't you just see how that phone call went? Jonah, it's God calling. Yes, Lord. Jonah, good job preaching the message that I gave you for Israel. I'm sure the people really like the message that you've given. And um, thanks, God. You know, it's really been kind of cool for a change to, you know, have the people like the message that I deliver. You know, my fellow prophets don't always get that. You know, God, I think it's time for us to enlarge the church building. Let's build a gym and, uh, and a family life center. And how about a coffee shop in the foyer, God? I think that would all be really great for us to do right now. Really seize this opportunity. Well, Jonah, I have something new for you. Cool, Lord. Jonah, you might want to sit down. I need you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach about their sin, and I want you to call them to account for their sin because they're wicked people, and I want you to tell them that I have seen their wickedness and there are consequences. Jonah, Jonah, can you hear me now? You know, we referred to Nineveh. We've talked about that in our study in Genesis. And Nimrod founded Nineveh. And Nineveh never was a place that worshipped God. And we're going to learn more in, as we get further into this study about the people in Nineveh. But, but imagine that God said to you, I want you to go down to the Taliban headquarters and I want you to preach a message. I want you to go down to ISIS leaders and I want you to preach a message about their wickedness. I want you to go to Libya 15 years ago. I want you to go to Nazi Germany uh, uh, in the 40s. Imagine that. If God said, I want you to go to the place that will hate you the most, that hates me the most, and I want you to preach about judgment. Sure, God, let me sign right up for that. 
God's call comes in many ways. And as we start talking about the call of God, God's call sometimes comes dramatically and sometimes not. Matter of fact, most of the time it's not. God has called me over my years of serving him. I was called to preach when I was 11 years old. December the 15th, 1975. First Baptist Church in Pickerington, Ohio. We were worshiping in an elementary slash middle school gym while we were building a building. And I knew that morning, sitting just kind of right out there on the second row, I knew that God was calling me to be a preacher. But I didn't tell anybody for two weeks. And for two weeks, I felt guilty because I had heard from God. And so then on December the 28th, 1975, the week after I turned 11, I made my decision public in the church that God wanted me to be a preacher where my father was the pastor. Now, since that time, 1975, that's a long time ago. God's assignments and calls for me have been different. In May 2000, in Houston, Texas, actually Pearland, in my quiet time, I sensed the Lord saying, Jim, you're going to leave your current uh, pastorate where we were planting a church, and you're going to move to another large city, to another state. And I shared that with Lisa, and she confirmed that she heard what God was saying. And two weeks later, I got a phone call from a pastor in Nacogdoches, Texas, that said, I'm thinking about going to St. Louis. If I go there, would you go with me? And so a few months later, we were talking to you, and by January of 2001, I was here as an associate pastor. But I was not surprised when I got the call from the pastor because the Lord had already called. Calls aren't always so dramatic. They aren't always so life-changing. They don't always involve a moving van. But the stakes are always eternal. And after two years here, then God's call was to be in Florissant and pastor there for nine years. We didn't even move out of our house, but we pastored there for nine years. And then uh, October the 5th of last year, the doors opened for us to come back. And here we are in Ferguson again. In December 1983, though, I, I was a freshman in college studying for the ministry. I was on staff of the Miller Heights Baptist Church where Lisa grew up, and I was the music minister there. And there was a guy on campus at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor named David. David was an atheist at a small Baptist college. Target on his back, right? And so I remember standing in the, in the dorm room one evening, right before the first semester ended, my freshman year, and I saw David sitting at a table with all of these well-meaning Christians, you know, gang-tackling him for Jesus telling him all of this stuff. And I remember watching that and seeing David was kind of enjoying it because he was an atheist. And so they were doing it. And I just standing there and watching it. And I just said, Lord, I would really like to be able to have a meaningful witness with David. And that was my prayer. Next day, we had a dorm meeting where into the semester and we had to turn in our living assignments for the coming semester. And I'd had a bad roommate and I didn't want to live with anybody the next semester. And so I'd already decided I was going to live by myself the next semester. David knew me. We were acquaintances, but we did not hang out. We weren't friends or anything like that. And he knew that I was a preacher. He knew that I was on a church staff. And David walked up to me after that meeting and said, say, Jim, would you be my roommate next semester? What? That was God calling. 
And it was an answer to my prayer from 24 hours before that. Lord, give me a chance to witness to this guy. And the guy walks up and says, would you be my roommate? Write this down. God's call is always a revelation of what he is doing. God's call can be as simple as an invitation to an area of obedience. It could be an invitation to life change. But if God reveals his plans and his ways or his work, he is, listen, not just giving you a heads up. Write it down. God is calling you to join him. When God reveals, he is inviting you to join him. And he told Jonah, get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Now, before I move on, you should know something about that guy, David, in college. I said yes to the request. And we became roommates and we became friends. And over time, it was discussions about God and about sin and about salvation and about heaven and about hell and even about the second coming. He didn't have a car, so he would have to ride with me to places. And I'd be playing Christian music and this song, Coming Back, Andrus Blackwood and company. That just really, for any of you that know that. And he looked at me and he goes, so when do you think Jesus is coming again? And two years later, David trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. I will be honest, though, that I've not always been so quick to obey every time God calls. Perhaps you haven't been either. But what about Jonah? I mean, he's a popular preacher, so he's going to do the right thing. God revealed a decision, a preaching trip, a mission trip for Jonah. And right down number two, Jonah ran away. I won't ask you to say guilty or not. God said, get up and go to Nineveh. And he got up and ran to Tarshish. Wait a minute. That's not how preachers are supposed to react, right? Dallas Willard, the late Christian author and former USC philosophy professor in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says that the only place in all of creation where God's effective will is allowed to be absent is the heart of men. Jonah said no, and he ran away. And I was thinking about Psalm 148.8 that says, Lightning and hail and snow and cloud and stormy wind, they execute his commands. In other words, when God tells the sun to rise, the sun doesn't say no. When God tells the wind to blow, the wind doesn't say, man, I blew all day yesterday. I don't want to blow today. I'm tired, Lord. And yet you look at these verbs. The NIV says he ran. The CSB says he went to flee. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship. He paid the fare. He went into the ship. He was going to go from the Lord's presence. You know, Folks, some sins are accidental. You know, they're oversights, they're slip-ups. But listen, running from God is work. You can write that down. Isn't it? Running from God is work. Can you see Jonah? I mean, God calls and Jonah throws some stuff in a bag and he travels down the coast to the port. And then he goes, by the way, Nineveh's the other direction. He runs down to the port and he goes through the marina. Can you see him interviewing all of the captains trying to find out where they're going? And finally, he finds one ship that is literally going 180 degrees away from Nineveh. 
and he pays the fare and says, I'm going with you. It says twice, he went to flee and from the Lord's presence. And that literally means from the face of the Lord. Doesn't mean that God couldn't see him. It means God's favor was not with him. Jonah purposefully left God's favor and set out for a place 2,000 miles away from God's instruction. Ever been there? Jonah did not want to serve God. He did not like the cost. He did not like the mission. And I actually sent this out this morning on Twitter. It's amazing to me how we sometimes complain about the cost of obedience and worship and service. But we will pay through the nose. We will pay with our own blood, sweat, and tears in order to do our own thing. We will pay whatever it takes sometimes to disobey. Ouch, right? And I I don't know, has God called you and you're running from it today? Has God revealed a preferred change and you're diverting? You've said no. Let me tell you something. Ultimately, running is futile. If we could just learn that truth, it would save us some time, wouldn't it? What did David say in Psalm 139? Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to Sheol, you're there. If I live on the eastern horizon or I settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. So write down number three. You can't outrun God. Say those four words. You can't outrun God. Oh, we've tried, haven't we? Not his presence, nor his providence. You cannot outrun God. And by the way, God's purposes will always be accomplished. Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Isaiah 20, or 14, 24 says, The Lord of armies has sworn, as I have purposed, so it will be. As I have planned, so it will happen. So Jonah runs. Lisa and I have eaten down there in that, uh, in that port where Jonah would have gotten to. We went down there and watched a sunset and then ate in an amazing seafood restaurant right there. And Jonah gets in and they sail out. And I love the way this is worded. The Lord threw a great storm. A great, or a great wind and a great storm then arose. And what was Jonah doing? He's sleeping in the boat. The sailors, all pagans, are freaking out. I mean, everyone is going nuts except for Jonah. He's down in the boat sleeping. Do you know why? Because he knew it was God. Jonah's not going, ooh, I wonder what's happening. No, he's like, this is God. I might as well just go to sleep until God gets tired of this. Let's just be honest. Maybe he thought God will settle down after he gets his point across. We've all thought that. 
Maybe he thought, no one will know that it's my fault, so I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm going to go to sleep down here. And yet these pagans, what do they do? They're, they're, they're throwing dice or drawing straws. You know, they, they cast lots, figured out what's going on. And somehow these pagans realize it's the guy downstairs asleep. And they go and they ask him, all right, who is to blame for this trouble? What is your business and where are you from? Who are your people? You ever been there? Have you ever had somebody say, aren't you a Christian? And, you know, and they ask him, well, um, so I'm a preacher in Israel and I worship Yahweh, you know, the creator of heaven and earth, and he's a little upset with me. They were scared. Why? Because they had a greater respect for Yahweh than Jonah did. Wait a minute, aren't you a Christian? Verse 10 tells us that they were already aware that Jonah was running from his God. They just didn't know which God was his. And once they found out which God was his, now they were worried because they knew Yahweh. They didn't worship Yahweh, but they knew Yahweh. And they were terrified and said, what have you done? And so, again, we've all been here. Reluctantly, repentance begins. Throw me into the sea. And then it will calm down for you. In other words, it's my fault. So throw me in the water and God will ease up on you guys. Jonah realized something that day. That it's better to be in an open, angry sea with everything unknown with God than to be in the best yacht when you're running from God. And so verse 15, after trying their best not to, it says they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and it stopped. And folks, yes, I believe this is a true historical account, primarily because Jesus referenced it as if he believed it. And I just tend to go with Jesus when it comes to scriptural interpretation. And so I believe it, but this wasn't a Hollywood movie. A change of heart does not bring about a sudden turn and the music swells and a longing look and Google eyes and everything is fine. No, because listen, write this down. Repentance isn't always pretty. I'm just being honest here today. Repentance isn't always pretty, is it? And so the sea calmed and the storm stopped and perhaps the sky cleared. But guess what? Jonah's still in the water. And I think that he perhaps was more frightened than he was in the storm. Maybe you could hear, Dunham, Dunham, Dunham. Da-da-da. 
If God has called and commanded and revealed and you have run, then returning and repenting does not mean that all the problems are going to go away immediately. Hear me now. Just because you have finally responded, having run does not mean that now everything's all better. A convict is still going to be in jail. And if you're in financial difficulty, you may still be broke. And if your marriage is in trouble, it will still be in trouble. And the baby is still coming and the addiction still needs to be addressed and you will probably still have withdrawal. So Jonah started repentance. But Jonah's in the middle of the sea. Can you just see? Nothing. 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 Nothing but see. And then it sort of goes from bad to worse. And the music intensifies. Na 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 na. And maybe he saw a fin. But in one big gulp, Jonah is inside a giant fish, not a whale, but a fish. And people often ask, what kind of fish? Big one. That's a good answer. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter because it says the Lord appointed a fish. That word means to appoint, to provide, to prepare, to number. That one. I personally think this was a one-of-a-kind fish that God made for this moment. But whether or not he created one right then for this, or he chose one that he had already created for this purpose, the bottom line is this. This is a miracle, and God does miracles. Either way, the result is still the same. And the chapter ends with Jonah in the belly of a great fish. So I'm not going to try to make this all a happy ending and try to tie it up into a perfect little thing because the reality is, listen, some of you today might be running from God. Can people or churches run from God? Yeah. So I want you to see something before I close. Write down number five. God is present even in discipline. Oh, wait, I thought you were going to tell us the happy ending. It's not where the story goes. Back there in verse 5, it says, each man had prayed to his own God and nothing had happened. Nothing happened because their gods were simply man-made creations. And when you create a something, pray to something you created with your own hands, nothing happens. They were human hands, human imaginations, man-made attempts to explain their world, or, or they couldn't see, they couldn't hear, they couldn't touch, let alone help. And they certainly couldn't calm the storm, and they couldn't have sent the storm in the first place. But listen, write this down. Jehovah God was there that day. Think about that. The same God that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden 
the one who provided a sacrifice for their sin in the garden. He was there that day. The same God who revealed himself to Abraham and gave him a son and then saved his son from potential sacrifice, he was there that day. The same God who revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush, the same God who gave ten commandments to lead his people as a promise, he was there that day. The same God that delivered David from Goliath, he was there that day. The same God who parted the the Red Sea, the God who brought down the walls of Jericho, the God who had blessed, the God who had disciplined, that God was there that day. And that God was disciplining Jonah because he loved him and because he desired that none would perish and wanted to bring a word to Nineveh. And God provided a fish. I like that word provided, appointed. And so do you understand what that means? That God rescued Jonah with the fish that swallowed him. (laughs) Now, it might not have seemed like a rescue for Jonah. Oh, seriously? I mean, can you just see when he's, he's out there in the middle and then all of a sudden it's dark? We'll look at that the next time. But it was God rescuing him from himself. I wonder if when the sea calmed and Jonah looked around and he's treading water and then one big whoosh and everything goes dark. Really? What next? And then as we'll see in chapter two, it's like, well, this is it. I'm done for. But God was rescuing him. He just didn't know it yet. And I don't know where you find yourself, but you just don't know yet what God is doing. And God was giving Jonah a second chance. He just didn't know it yet. So write this down. Don't fear the Lord's discipline. And if you would, be grateful for his discipline. Because it means that he cares for you. It means that he is bringing you back. Remember, Romans 2.4 says, Do you despise the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not recognizing that his kindness is intended to lead us to, say it, repentance? Boy, do you realize how patient God is? Aren't you glad God is patient? Aren't you glad that God is patient and tolerant? Because most of us would just end it, wouldn't we? Ah, That's enough of them. But it is because, as Peter told us, that God doesn't want any of us to perish, that he wants all of us to come to repentance. And even though he knows not all will come, and he knows which one will and which one won't, and yet his desire is for all. And so be careful. Because Romans 2.4 that says his kindness leads us to repentance then gets down to 2.5 that says when we don't repent, we are storing up wrath. Don't miss that. Do you, do you see that? There's an option there, isn't there? 
Not only was God bringing Jonah back to himself and revealing his will, but also God was revealing himself to those pagans that day, wasn't he? Can you imagine the stories they told? I sort of wonder if a revival took place on that boat. Because it says after Jonah got out and the storm ended, what did they do? They started offering sacrifices to God and making vows. Listen. God is going to glorify himself with or without us. God is going to reveal himself to people with or without us. And so since Jonah didn't want to witness, God made him a cautionary witness to those guys on the ship, didn't he? And so I wonder today where you are. There is a famous poem that's more like a book. And stay with me here for just a moment. Maybe you've read it before or pieces of it. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Francis Thompson. He captured this feeling of what it's like to run from God. I'm not going to read it all because it's rather lengthy. And it's also written in a style of English that is kind of foreign to us. So just hang with me and listen closely for a minute. Here's what it says. I fled down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth of ways of my mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, up visted hopes, I sped and shot and precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears. From those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed Pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat, more instant than the feet. And things betrayed thee who betrayest me. Now of that long pursuit comes on at hand a brute, and that voice is round me like a bursting sea, and is the earth so marred, shattered, and shard on shard, Lo, all things flee thee, but thou fleest me. Strange, piteous, futile thing. Wherefore should any set thy love apart, seeing none but I makes much of naught? He said, and human love needs human meriting. How hast thou merited of all man's clotted clay and the dingiest clot? Alack, thou knowest not how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to look for ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee, I did but take, not for your harms, but just thou, that thou mightest seek it in my arms. All of which thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored up for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. Halts by me that footfall. It is my gloom, after all, shade of his hand outstretched caressingly. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he 
whom thou seekest. Thou hast driven love from thee, who hast driven me. Do you understand what it's saying? God says, I am he whom you seek. You're running and don't realize I'm what you're looking for. And so while you're running, do you understand that God loves you and is seeking you? While you don't even know what you're looking for, what you're seeking, what you want, listen, is what he has. What you need is what he provides. What you long for, he alone can fill. Would you pray with me? Here in this holy moment, if you are on the road away from God, from his will, from his purposes, could you right now in this holy moment say, Lord Jesus, I hear you. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, I come. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, could you do that right now? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. That's what Romans 10 says in verse 9 and verse 13. Could you right there where you are pray something like that, Lord Jesus? I believe you are Lord. Forgive me of my sin. And today I follow you. If you're a child of God and you've wandered from God's call, could you just confess that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Can you do that right there where you are? This is a wholly important moment for you. And so may his vision be our vision. May his purpose be our purpose. May he be our hope and our strength and our song. May this be a day that you trust him. Trust him again. Trust him forward. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.